Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Follow. I'm so excited to be able to kick off this new teaching series with you today. It's a series from the Gospel of Luke, and it's all about following Jesus. Following Jesus, such an important topic. Why? Because the central invitation that Jesus extends to us is not to be good people. It's not to go to church now and then. It's not to serve in the kids' ministry. It's not to give away a lot of money. Those are all wonderful things, but it's not at the center. At the very heart of what Jesus invites you to and what me to is this invitation to follow me. In fact, when you read the Gospels, you hear this message over and over again. Over 20 times in the Gospels, uh, Jesus extends that invitation to someone. Follow me. This idea is so important to us as a church that we've built it right into our mission statement. You can see it on the wall of the lobby after the service when you walk out. What are we about as a church? Inviting diverse and disconnected people to what? Passionately follow Jesus together. So the series is all about following Jesus. And as we begin, we're going to look at a passage from Luke chapter 9 that I think is so foundational to our understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. So I'm going to begin at verse 18. So hear the word of the Lord. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone, and he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things. And be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. May God bless the reading of his word. All right, so for the rest of this series, we're going to be talking about following Jesus. And each week after this one, we're going to talk about a specific place or a specific activity that Jesus invites us uh, to follow him into. Like we'll talk about following Jesus into prayer, following Jesus into serving. Uh, But before we talk about the specific places Jesus invites us to follow him into, today I want to look at a broader question. And that is, what does it mean to follow Jesus in the first place? Or maybe even broader than that, what does it mean to follow anybody? I mean, that word follow can mean a whole bunch of, of different things. I looked, uh, looked it up this week. There were like 12 different definitions of, of follow in the dictionary. You know, different kinds of following. A police officer follows a speeding car. Some of you may know that uh, by experience. In baseball, an outfielder follows the fly ball with his eye so that he can catch it with his glove, right? Today's sermon follows that intro video that we just So, and speaking of the sermon, I hope I can speak clearly enough that you can follow what I'm trying to say. So all different kinds of following, all different definitions of follow, but I want to simplify to just two today. I really want to look at two specific ways to follow, two alternative views of what it means to follow. And the first way to follow is what uh, I think is most common in the world today. I'm going to call it admiration, admiration. So let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, let me put a photo up on the screen here. Uh, can you guys, I know it's small. Can you guys tell me what app this is? Instagram. This is Instagram. Thank you, students. Yes, thank you, Maya. What is the, I know you can't read it, but you already know. What does the big blue button here say? Follow. Follow. Exactly. You got it. By the way, this is the Instagram feed of uh, Bluebell Ice Cream, which I think all of you should be following. 
the holiest of all the ice creams. <laughs> what, does it, what does it mean when you follow someone on Instagram? It means you admire them, right? You're interested in them. You want to see what, what pictures they, they post. You want to see what they have to say. You keep up with who they are and what they're doing. You, you follow them. All right, another example. Here's another picture. Uh, this is my, my family, and, and uh, you, as you can see, I follow the Cowboys. And as a good spiritual leader of my household, I have led my family to also follow the Cowboys. Um, also, I don't know if you can see it on the screen there, but apparently during this time period, I had unfollowed my razor for a couple of months. I'm not sure <laughs> what was going on there. What does it mean that, uh, that I, I've been following the Cowboys since I was a little kid? It means I admire them, right? I, I, I watch all their games. I think I've only missed one game since I was a kid, and that's because I was on an airplane and there was no TV back in the dark ages on the airplanes. Uh, I spend way too much time watching them, reading about them, listening to people on the radio talk about them, listening to people on the internet talk about them. You get the picture, right? I follow the Cowboys. And this is, this is really, again, the most prevalent way of following in our, in our culture. It's, it's admiration. That's what the world invites us to do, to, to value things, pay attention to the things. We, we follow sports teams, we follow politicians, we follow TV shows. Now, these things that we follow are a part of our lives, but they don't require that much of us, right? We, we follow from a distance. It's low commitment. If the Cowboys are losing in the fourth quarter, I can just change the channel if I get too frustrated, right? If I don't like what someone posts on Instagram, I can unfollow them. I admire the things I follow, but that's where it ends. Those things don't have control over me. Now, this is important because it's definitely one way to follow Jesus. And in fact, when you read the Gospels, this is the most common way that the crowds follow Jesus. Remember at the beginning of the passage, Jesus asked the disciples, who do the crowds say that I am? And they say, they think maybe you're John the Baptist, come back to life, or Elijah, back to life. And, and the crowds, they, they followed Jesus in this way. Man, as long as he was turning water into wine, or healing sick people, or feeding 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, man, they were there, right? They were following. But when things started to get a little more controversial, or a little more challenging, a little more difficult, they tended to click that unfollow button pretty quickly. And if we're honest, it's not just in Jesus' day, right? I think this is actually the most common way for people to follow Jesus in our day, too. Many people admire Jesus, right? In fact, many people in our culture admire Jesus. They say, hey, he's a great teacher. I love that he speaks about love so much. And so they might read about him in the Bible every now and then or go to church, uh, you know, once or twice to hear about them. But if they don't like something he says, it's really easy to change the channel or at least hit the mute button for a few minutes. But in today's passage, we're going to see that what, that what Jesus invites us to is something radically different. Jesus' picture of following is extremely different from this view of following. And what he has in mind is actually much, much harder than just clicking the blue follow button. It's much more costly than spending a few hours on the couch watching a game. It's much more costly, but I want to say right at the outset, it's worth it. It is worth it. It actually leads to a life filled with more joy than you can imagine. Okay, let's go back to the passage. After the disciples uh, tell, tell Jesus who the crowd say he is, Jesus responds by saying, what about you? Who, who, do, who do you say I am? And Peter answers for all the disciples in verse 20 when he, when he says, God's Messiah. You may be more familiar with uh, Matthew's version of this same story where Peter says it this way. Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. In other words, Jesus is the chosen one. The anointed one, God's own son, he's come to save his people. 
After Peter says this, Jesus says, hey, don't tell anybody yet. The world's not ready for this yet. And then check out what he says in verse 22. He says, and he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed. Right after Peter declares Jesus to be the Messiah, Jesus says, yes, you're right. And let me tell you what that means. It means I'm going to suffer, be rejected and be killed. Now, it's important to know this is, this is the exact opposite of what the disciples were expecting, right? They, they thought Jesus, they thought the Messiah was going to be this conquering hero. They, they thought if Jesus is the Messiah, that means he's going to overthrow the Romans. And now he's telling them he's going to suffer and be killed. Doesn't make any sense. Maybe Jesus is mistaken. But look back at the verse. Jesus is, Jesus is not unsure of this. The Son of Man might suffer. The Son of Man is probably going to suffer. No, he says the Son of Man must suffer and he must be killed this suffering was not optional for jesus jesus's death on the cross was not an elective procedure it was right at the very center of what it meant for him to be the messiah suffering and death were at the heart at the core of it of his identity as we just celebrated in the lord's supper together that's why he came why? why? Why is this? Well, the Bible teaches us that all of us have sinned. All of us have rebelled against God's plan for us, and that sin has devastating consequences. Romans chapter 6 tells us this explicitly. It says the wages of sin is what? Death. The wages of sin is eternal death. But praise God, when we couldn't save ourselves, Jesus stepped in. Uh, Jesus said he came to seek and to save the lost. That's us. He said he came to give his life as a ransom for many. Uh, I love the way that Isaiah, the prophet, prophesied about the coming Messiah. This was 700 years before Jesus, but Isaiah, through eyes of faith and through the revelation uh, of God, knew what the Messiah was going to come to do. Here's how he said it. He said, but he, the Messiah, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Praise the Lord, church. Amen. Jesus is telling his disciples that right at the very heart, right at the very center of what it means for him to be the Messiah is the cross. The cross is why he came. All right, so let's pause for a minute. Remember, we're talking about two ways to follow. If we, if we took that first way to follow, admiration, if we heard this first, what do you think that following Jesus might look like? Well, as I thought about this week, the best example I could come up with is kind of how we feel about the, the firefighters from 9-11 the ones who ran up the stairs of the World Trade Center as everyone else ran down. And we admire them, right? We admire them from afar. We appreciate them. We honor them every year on 9-11. We honor them in their memory. But if we're honest, while they may inspire us, for most of us, that's, that's where it ends. It's, it's from afar. It's low commitment. In spiritual terms with Jesus, this, this might mean this kind of following, this admiration kind of following, knowing that Jesus went to the cross. It might mean going to church every Easter, you know, maybe to pay your respects to, to Jesus. It might mean having warm thoughts about him. But like we said about Instagram feeds and sports teams, that's where it ends. You can always click the unfollow button. You can always change the channel. Because admiration is following on our terms, right? Admiration is following on our terms. But when you read the rest of the passage, what you find out is that Jesus has something much more extreme in mind. Jesus' definition of following isn't admiration, it's imitation. Not admiration, but imitation. Look, look at what he says in verse 23. Then Jesus said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must 
appreciate me, must honor me, must go to church. No, he says, everyone who wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Jesus has just told the disciples he's going to suffer, rejected, and be rejected and be killed, right? <laughs> and then without even anything between those two verses, he says, here's what you're going to do. You're going to follow me. To follow me means to do what I do, to deny yourself like I'll deny myself, to carry a cross like I'm going to carry a cross. To follow me means to imitate me. Now, this is a totally different scenario, right? And this is, by the way, this whole sermon is really challenging, and I'm so grateful for God's grace. It's going to carry us through, okay? But this is a different scenario because when following means admiration, we're in control, and we can decide to stop following when things get uncomfortable, right? But what if following means imitation? If it means imitation, it means we're giving up control. We don't follow or stop following based on how pleasant the circumstances are, right? We've decided to do what the person we're following does. And this is the kind of following that Jesus invites us to. And as it turns out, this was God's plan for us all along. I love what Paul says in Romans 8, 29. He, he says that, that, that God's initial plan for us from the very beginning was to be conformed to the image of his son. What does that mean? For us increasingly to actually look like our Savior, to do what Jesus did. You see, we're not meant to admire Jesus from afar. We're meant to follow in his footsteps. We're, we're meant to become the apprentice of Jesus like we read about in our deeply rooted devotions this week. Spending time with Jesus in order to learn how to become like Jesus. And so, like I said, for the rest of the series, that's going to be our focus. We're going to try to pay really close attention to what Jesus does, the kinds of things he does, the way he spends his time, the actions he takes and then we're going to talk about how through the power of the Holy Spirit, through his grace, we can actually learn to live that way. But first today, I want to press in a little deeper to what Jesus says here in verse 23. Two things that Jesus says here that, that he's calling us to. The first thing that he says is, if you want to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself. And can we just be honest? This is church, right? We can be honest. This is difficult this is tough because by nature, how, how does life work? The world revolves around us, right? Man, we decide what we want to do. We decide what we don't want to do. I know this is true for me. In fact, it reminds me of a conversation I had with my mom when I was a teenager. Uh, she was frustrated with something uh, I was saying. And she said, John, you know what your problem is? Your problem is you want what you want when you want it. And very respectfully, I said, duh. Duh. <laughs> That's what everybody wants. Everybody wants what they want when they want it. And she replied, you know, that's a really logically sound argument. I'm going to think about that. Just kidding. She didn't say that. <laughs> I don't remember exactly what she did say, but I know I had plenty of time to think about it in my room the rest of that <laughs> evening. You know, with the benefit of age, though, what I've realized is we were both right. We were both right. I was right. This is, by nature, what we want. All of us want what we want when we want it. But you know, my mom was right too. That kind of self-centered living is disastrous. It leads us all kinds of places where we ultimately don't want to be. It's a problem. But Jesus extends a different kind of invitation to us. He invites us to deny ourselves, to let go of what we want when we want it so that we can embrace what God wants so that we can embrace God's will rather than our own. 
And of course, Jesus didn't invite us to do anything that, that he didn't also do first. Do you remember what he prayed in the garden the night before he was crucified? First, he told his father what he wanted. He said, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. That's what he wanted in his flesh. But then he prayed what he had already committed in his heart. He said, but not my will, but your will be done. How did Jesus live? He lived in complete surrender, complete submission to his father. He denied himself. And what does he invite us to do? To imitate him, to do the same by his grace, to deny ourselves and follow him wherever he leads. All right, the first part is hard enough, and let's just be honest, the second part gets tougher. Uh, this next part may hurt a little bit. It reminds me of when I was in my 20s, and um, there was a period of seven or eight years where I kind of forgot about that go to the dentist every six months thing. Uh, you know, when you're a kid, people make those appointments for you, and as it turns out, no one makes them for you when you're in your 20s. And so when I finally got around uh, to going to the dentist, um, the, the hygienist looked at my teeth, and then she she pulled out this motorized torture device. Um, I don't know if any of you have seen this. It looks like something out of Silence of the Lambs. And she said, yeah, this is going to hurt. <laughs> and man, was she right. It hurt like crazy. But you know what? She wasn't trying to harm me, right? It hurt, but it was for my healing. And I just want to tell you, the same is true of this next hard truth. When Jesus extends this next part of the invitation, he doesn't pull any punches. You know, if, if it was me, I would try to undersell this next part, but Jesus just rips the Band-Aid off. He says, look, if you're going to be my disciple, it's going to cost you everything, period. And what image does he use to paint this picture? A cross. Not exactly subtle, is it? You know, all the disciples had, had seen someone carrying their cross before. They knew what it meant. As one of the commentators I read last week said, when, when a group of Roman soldiers made a man take up his cross and start walking, he was on a one-way journey. He wasn't coming back. And this is the image. Wow. This is the image Jesus uses when he tells, us, tells his disciples what it means to follow him. Now, I want to be super clear here. Our cross is different from Jesus' cross. When Jesus went to the cross, it was to atone for the sins of the world. You and I cannot atone for anyone's sin and praise the Lord because Jesus already has. We don't have to. So our cross is different from Jesus' cross, but in a very real way, Jesus is inviting us to walk with him into his death. He's inviting us not to pay for the sins of the world, but to die to ourselves so that he can give us a new life. Jesus is saying that in order to experience this amazing, abundant life he has planned for us, the old life has to die first. If we're still holding on to a life that's based on getting what we want, when we want it, our hands are going to be full. They're not going to be empty to receive the new life, the kingdom life that God has for us. And so each day we have to make this decision to die to ourselves so that we can receive his life. Now listen, I know this is uncomfortable. I know this seems extreme. It would be easy to, to change the channel for a minute, but I want to encourage you to, to not, not let that happen. Not let that happen. Because it's not just here, friends. In fact, this is the image all throughout the New Testament that is used so frequently about what it means to follow Jesus. It's this journey from death to life. In fact, it's all through the New Testament. But here are just a few quick examples. In Galatians 2, Paul says, For I have been crucified with Christ. There's that cross image again crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. My, my, my old life is gone and dead and buried, but Christ lives in me. 
In Colossians 3, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. Your new life is now hidden with Christ and God. And then Jesus uses this image when he's talking with Nicodemus in, in, in John 3. He says, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. It's a new kind of life. We, we say it here every time we baptize someone. You remember what we say as they go under the water? Buried with Christ in baptism. And then what? Raised to walk in newness of life. This is Jesus' invitation, friends, to come and die to ourselves so that he can give us something so much better. So much better. I know this is a tough passage. I know it's so hard. This is so hard for me. I was sharing with the people that were praying with me before the service. Man, this is, this is really, really one where I say, I don't have this figured out yet. It's a struggle for me. But this is Jesus' invitation to deny ourselves. And listen, there is an unbelievable blessing on the other side. An unbelievable blessing on the other side. When I put verse 22 on the screen before I intentionally left out the last part of the verse, but I want to put the whole verse up there now. Jesus says, the Son of Man must suffer, be rejected, and he must be killed, and what? And on the third day, be raised to life. You see it? The cross wasn't the end of the story for Jesus. And friends, the cross isn't the end of the story for us either. Look at verse 24. Verse 24, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but that's not the end, right? Whoever loses their life for me will save it. Friends, our imitation of Christ does not end at the cross. It goes on to the empty tomb, praise the Lord. Jesus does say that following him means taking up our cross, dying to ourselves. But then immediately he turns right around and says, if you do this, if, if by my grace you will open yourselves, if you will trust me, if you will allow me to crucify your old life, you will actually be saving your life. And not just any life. You won't just receive life the way you had it before. By God's amazing grace, you will receive my resurrection life. Life the way it was meant to be from the beginning a life filled with joy and peace no matter your circumstances. A life filled with hope and purpose and love as we're adopted into God's family and as we're included in his mission. It's the abundant life Jesus speaks about in John 10. It's the kingdom life. And that brings us really to the climax of this sermon. If I could sum up the whole sermon in one sentence, it would be this. Jesus invites us to follow him through death into life. Jesus invites us to follow him through death into life. You see, Jesus doesn't invite us to deny ourselves as a way of proving our devotion to him. He doesn't invite, our, invite us to take up our cross as a way of earning our own salvation. We can't do that and we don't need to. He invites us to take up our cross because he knows that without him, we're headed to a place we don't want to go. Without him, we're in the, our lives would end in hopelessness. Without him, the path we're on leads to death and destruction. That's what he means when he says, if you try to save your life, you'll ultimately lose it. But he also knows the other side of that truth. He also knows that if we will trust him, if we will follow him in faith, if we, as hard as it is, if we will un, 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 uh, loosen our grip on what we want when we want it, then we can experience through his grace the life that we could have never even imagined. And what looks like loss turns into gain. What looks like death turns into life. Let me see if I can illustrate this for just a minute. Picture, picture yourself on a private jet that's on the way from New York to L.A. And I mean, it is, it is prime. It is luxurious. Corinthian leather seats, big windows. They've just served a steak and lobster meal. 
and uh, the Bluebell ice cream is on the way out. There's a theme here in my sermon. I have a problem. No, so the, the ice cream is on the way out, and all of a sudden, the passenger, another passenger jumps up, opens the emergency exit, and says, hey, you want to jump out with me? What? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's my thought exactly. Yes, what? Uh, if it's me, I say, um, you know, I think I'm going to stay for the ice cream. I think I'm going to stay for the ice cream. All right, now picture the same situation with one difference. One difference. Same plane, same meal, but this time the pilot comes out and says, friends, I'm so sorry to tell you this. The control system is broken, and in about five minutes, we're going to crash into the Rocky Mountains. And then another passenger hops up, tosses you a parachute, and says, hey, I'm a certified skydiving instructor. You want to jump out with me? Yeah, the ice cream's not quite as important anymore, right? It changes things. Friends, here's what I'm trying to say. Look, Jesus is standing at the door, and he's telling us out of love, not not out of condemnation, he's telling us out of love that the path we're on without him ultimately leads to destruction. But there's a way out. There is a way out. There's a, pardon the the expression, there's a tandem skydive. He can can carry us on the way out. And what we're going to find is that what looks like death, what looks like something we would never want to do, actually turns into life, real life, abundant life. We follow Jesus through death into life. I love the way Charles Wesley put this in his classic hymn, Christ the Lord is Risen Today. We sing it every Easter morning. In the final stanza, he says this, Soar we now where Christ has led, following our exalted head, that's Jesus, made like him, like him we rise, ours the cross, the grave, the skies. You see it? Ours, the cross, we are crucified with Christ. We follow him into his death. Ours, the grave, our old life is buried, but also ours, the skies, representing the resurrection, the new life, the abundant life that Jesus gives by his grace. And then I love, I left it out of the the screen here, but after every line, he just says, alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. So what's the takeaway today, friends? I just want to simply encourage you to respond to Jesus' invitation, his gracious invitation to deny yourself, to take up your cross, and to follow him. Listen, I know this is hard. I know this is scary. I'm going to be super honest. This is hard for me, really hard for me, but I also know that Jesus is with us. His grace will carry us. He will give us strength. And as we follow him, he'll lead us through death into life. I'll close with a story I read last week from a pastor named Matt Woodley. Uh, He tells about when he was about 11 years old and he used to spend his summer days going to the public swimming pool. And he said, for five summers I had watched in admiration and terror as the big kids climbed the steps to the high dive and jumped into the cool water below. For a few agonizing seconds, they disappeared into the deep end only to reemerge alive and whole, beaming with delight. He says, I had long avoided the high dive. I, I wouldn't even come close to the deep end. But when my buddies and even some girls started plunging off the high dive, I knew I had to save face. And I love this. He says, being uncool was worse than plunging to my certain death. <laughs> so on a humid day in July, with my stomach reeling and my knees wobbling, I, I climbed the steps. As I walked out on the plank, everything within me said, you fool, turn around and climb back down. You can still live. 
But when I started to backpedal and looked over my shoulder, I saw the line of, of friends and older kids and girls chuckling, and I knew I must jump. Creeping to the edge of the plank, I looked over the edge, and I finally let go and jumped. Down I plunged, hitting the water like a stone, sinking lower and lower into my watery grave. So this is how they die, I thought. Some people hit the water and never come back up. They're sucked through that grate and turned into chlorine. <laughs> but then, surprise, I came back up again and I was alive. I was wet and dazed, but utterly alive. I was not only alive, but transformed, liberated and renewed. I shook my head of wet hair and laughed. I had let go of everything and lived to tell about it. I was more alive than ever. I had tasted the joy of surrender. Friends, the deep end is waiting. The abundant life with Jesus is waiting. The door is open and Jesus is with us. Are you ready? Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, this is a tough, tough passage. But we thank you for it. We thank you for it because we know, we know your words are true and we know your words are loving and you don't speak these words out of condemnation. You don't speak these words to set up uh, a bar that we could never reach. What you do, you speak these words as an invitation to, to receive the new life that you give by your grace. And so I, I pray for myself today, Lord. I pray for each and every person here that we would, we would see this not as condemnation but as invitation. Lord, help us to move from admiration to imitation. Help us, help us to receive the new life, the kingdom life, and help us to lay aside everything that would hinder us. Help us to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.